Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Charitable Foundations. I'm your host Keith McGinty and today I'm delighted to welcome a very special first guest, a man who has risen through the ranks of Celtic Park, from polishing the turnstiles to picking the Paradise Windfall winners, whose charitable work has seen the foundation's influence stretch from the Kerrydale to Kenya and beyond. The sweet tooth Celtic dad himself, Tony Hamilton, welcome to the pod. How are you, Tony? I'm very well. Thanks very much for having me on. And it's always good to be the first at something. I'm normally the last. I was always the last guy to get picked in the school team. Uh, I feel your pain there. I most definitely was myself as, as well. But you've risen above that mediocrity, some might say. <laughs> Maybe not myself. But uh, to, to make it quite high up in Celtic, you're the, the chief executive of the Celtic FC Foundation. We're going to have a wee chat today. And the idea behind this pod is to look at the charitable side of Celtic the great work that goes on through the fans, through the club and yourselves uh, at helping others. And it's something that the club was, of course, based on. I think uh, it could be a long-running series for you because uh, it's definitely not peculiar to the club's charity, to Celtic FC Foundation. It's a big, big part of who we are. Anybody associated with the football club, whether it's fans groups, whether it's the, you know, the Green Brigade or supporters clubs or the Kano Foundation, it's it's everywhere. And I think uh, uh, the podcasts as well do a lot of this type of work as well. So it's very much part of the Celtic DNA. I've had an idea for a while and hopefully we can get legs behind this as well. As I mentioned, you're the chief executive of the foundation. How long have you been doing that for? Um, I have been doing it since April 2013, so just over seven years. Fantastic. In that time, the foundation has grown um, massively. The work that you've done stretched from the east end of Glasgow down to London, over to Ireland. Uh, I remember you've done work in Haiti, Africa, all over the world. And it's testament to yourself and your, your team and just how much that has spread and the, the good work that's been done in Celtic's name. I think uh, it's kind of you to say that. I think the reality is that without the power of Celtic, without the, the might of Celtic and the, the Celtic brand, and I'm always nervous about the, the whole concept of brand when, it talk, when we talk about football, but if you take all that away, if you strip it back, then there is no Celtic FC Foundation. All the stuff that you mentioned that we've managed to do, the people that we've worked with, the funds that we've raised, the the projects that we've delivered, is only because of Celtic. It's because people, Celtic, again, uh, I'm loath to use any any management speak, but Celtic stakeholders, whether they are the executive of the football club or staff or supporters or people who run podcasts or supporters clubs, those people have made this happen. That's the reality of it. Without that, you take that away, it's, it's nothing. I think it is also something that's synonymous with the, the Celtic brand now. Um, all over the, the world, Celtic fans love sharing the, the stories about Celtic winning and the, the great teams that we've had. But there's also the, the fairy tale behind the, the charitable start, the charitable foundations that, that helped bring the club, form the club in the first place. Um, and it's something that we all take great pride in, in talking about. What I was going to start with was just... First of all, it's something we do in all our podcasts is just checking in and everyone. We've had the global pandemic, um, we've had the lockdown. How have you found it? How have you been? Is it is it good getting back to work? For the first two months, um, through April and the majority of May, I worked at home. 
I came into the office once or twice a week. And then since the end of May, the start of June, I've been in the office full time. I found that I'm more productive here. Uh, I think that the majority of the team uh, are working from home. I'm fairly accepting uh, in terms of things that I'm just not going to be able to influence. And I think one of them is, you know, I'm not going to clear up this pandemic mess. So you either pull the covers over and take to your bed or you get up and deal with it. So I'm getting up and dealing with it. And I think, to be honest, most people are. I, I, I genuinely believe that, that. Uh, I know we're keeping an eye on people's mental health at the moment. It's a big, big factor. But I think the majority of people are doing what they have to do uh, and and just dealing with it in their own way. And not everybody's dealing with it the same way. How did the, the start of the, the pandemic actually affect your plans for the end of the season? It kind of killed us, if I'm honest. Uh, the, the last... Our financial year runs from the 1st of July to the 30th of June. So the the last quarter uh, is, is where it's at. It, it's another hackneyed football phrase is the business end of the season, but it's the same for us. So we had a big dinner in London that we have every year, which was postponed. Um, we had a game uh, scheduled for here. Uh, which was obviously postponed and a series of events that were just killed. Probably um, getting those back on has been difficult as well because we move into another year and they're still without the the vaccine and the certainty that it brings that it's yeah. really, really difficult to plan anything. So it's a difficult time. It's no peculiar to what's happening with us at Celtic FC Foundation. It, it, it's and a I take no comfort in this, incidentally, but I know that the world's facing the same problems at the yeah. moment. So, yeah. uh, you know, unless you're in uh, video communications or retail, then I think you're pretty. I think you're struggling at the moment. <laughs> Sounds like it. One of the things that we always look forward to is the uh, the badge day at the end of the season. Uh, Keeper recollection. It was great that you were managed to get them out through eBay. I think it was. It was phenomenal actually because we we normally do okay with the badges we we do a few thousand something that you know we might get to ten thousand but we all, we only ordered five thousand because we knew we weren't going to have a game and we sold them in four hours uh, so we've ordered another five thousand and we've just about sold them out as well so it's a good one it's an it's a nice uh it's a nice looking badge it's a nice design um and i managed to buy some in the first batch which is <laughs> I managed to get some myself, so I, that's that's added to my, my ever-grown collection. I don't think I'll get through any metal detectors if I take my Celtic <laughs> scarf with me. Anyway, um, moving on to the, how you were adapting and dealing with COVID, there were some incredible amounts of money raised, donated by the club and from the supporters. Um, the first one I remember was around about the 250,000. Um, I see it's up to about 600,000 that's been raised now, is that right? Yeah, we're just over 600 grand at the moment and we've just turned that fund which we've been running since the end of March, the start of the lockdown, when we realised very quickly that our ability to uh, fundraise and more importantly, our ability to deliver our regular day-to-day projects around employability and social inclusion, ability counts and dementia care, when we realised that that was off off the table for the foreseeable future, then we, we had to do something. So the foundation uh, put in 250 grand to start with, and we've put in some money from the club, and we've put in some money from a few other 
private individuals, Scottish government put in some money and a few other uh, trusts and funds. And we got to about 600 grand and decided that notwithstanding the issues that people are facing, uh, that we would sensitively launch an appeal and try and make this our focal point for the next three to six months. I think it's probably going to be closer to six months. It's probably going to see us out um, 2020, uh, which nobody will be sad to see go behind us. Not at all, not uh, at all. So that, is, that the, is that the Football for Good Fund? Yeah. Right, fantastic. And, and the the money that's been raised, one of the, the great things I think about the Celtic FC Foundation is that you don't just donate money and give money out. It's, to, it's really to people that are, are helping others and it's supporting um, people like um, the food banks that are already in communities. That's one of the best things that I, I, I've noticed about the, the foundation. Yeah, so I mean, we've got a partnership with the food bank locally here, which I've spoke about many times. It runs from the, the Church of Scotland. That, that's the hub. It's in yeah. Ellen Street. Uh, uh, and the spokes are in various parts of the East End and the North of, of Glasgow. Uh, so that's our regular partner. But... Um, what we try and do, and I've said this a million times as well, is that we, we're not a grant-making organisation ordinarily. We don't write cheques for other charities. But again, part of the instant realisation about lockdown, we knew that we couldn't deliver our own projects. We knew that people were going to find themselves in dire straits very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we try to identify organisations that uh, could help with food, it's primarily been about food, some basic essentials as well for people. But we knew that people who were leading reasonably ordinary lives up until then uh, might have found themselves in, in some deep water very, very quickly. So we identified a series of partners in various uh, in various parts uh, in various parts uh, of uh, the world, really, mainly in Glasgow, but not exclusively in Glasgow. Uh, and we engaged with those partners to try and uh, to try and help make a difference in the short term. Were the was the foundation involved in helping to feed the NHS staff at Celtic Park during that? Was that yeah? We had two. We had we had two initiatives. We've got a third one at the moment. Um, we had the first one was we partnered up with Cathedral House Hotel, which is easy for me to say, which is the <laughs> hotel at. Uh, just uh, at Castle Street, uh, across to the Royal Infirmary, and we fed NHS staff there for a number of weeks. And then we partnered with a restaurant that was, uh, his business had changed as well, on the other end of town. And we fed NHS and key workers uh, there for a few weeks as well. And we've got a thing going, I'm actually going in, I've got a meeting with the chief nurse at the Royal Infirmary next week. Um, I'm going to meet them uh, around some other staff initiatives because we've had some funding specifically for that. Um, so we're going to have a look at what that might look like for us. Uh, so uh, that I felt that that was important because we never knew what the extent was. We've lost a lot of people in Scotland. Clearly, uh, yeah. you could look at it and say it could always be. Uh, it could have been much worse. We didn't know what the extent it was going to be. Whether the the pop up hospital at the exhibition centre was going to be called into use or not. And we knew that these people were risking their lives to save our lives. That's really, that was clearly the message. Uh, so it was important for us that we just didn't take that and then move on, that we recognise it and we play some part in that, which is why we, we got involved in those initiatives. 
Fantastic. Um, some of the, the community work are that is wonderful to hear, and like you said, the, the NHS staff, how you're supporting them is, is, is great. How can we help now as the fans and supporters? What ways uh, can we help support and donate? I think in terms of um, donating, we've set up a wee microsite and it's called footballforgoodfund.com. Uh, so you'll find that through the club site or the foundation site. So www.footballforgoodfund.com. And there's a series of ways that people who can afford it uh, can make a donation uh, electronically or writing checks or wh- whatever it is. So that so that's up and running now. We, we launched that about um, nine days ago, actually. We launched that at the start of last week. Um, so that's up and running now. Um, once we get back to whatever normal looks like and we get people back into the stadium, then we'll think about how we can engage people in a more practical level. And that's the type of stuff that you do regularly and a series of other people do. Uh, and that's engaging with people, but we're not at that stage yet because we've got these restrictions and we've got nobody in the stadium. Well, there's maybe a dozen is in here today. Um, we've got nobody for games, obviously. Um, so uh, it's that, uh, and the, at the minute, if you can afford it, uh, we would encourage you to try and help us. We'll make sure that the money goes to the right places in the course of the next three to six months. This is going to be your focus and our only our only priorities, football for good. And is that really like starting on Sunday with the Green Day? Aye, so that was something that we would uh, we've done a couple of times before. Every day in my, in my house's green day anyway. Uh, is that just an excuse for you to break out your green brogues? Um, I've actually got uh, a pair of green docks, but I struggle docks. to bend down and get the laces tied on. <laughs> them. Um, so I don't know what I'll wear on Sunday, but it'll be a green day anyway for sure. Um, and that that's the type of thing that we're that we're uh, that we're doing. We've got a you know, series of things planned. Uh, there's a wee bit of detail on that microsite, which is footballforgoodfund.com. That's my final plug for it. Um, <laughs> uh, and th- and that's it. And it's about engagement. And it's about also, if I'm honest, it's about being mindful of what's going on because, you know, we've, we're getting into month five now. We haven't asked anybody for money to this point. There's a lot of people who help us ordinarily who might need some help themselves uh, so we know that the level of support that we get might not be what it normally is uh, I know you're going to come on and talk about the Christmas appeal um, but uh, we're asking people if you can help you can help if you need help we'll put you in touch with one of the organizations that we're helping and that that might be that might be the way around it I think that part of it as well is that the trust that we've got and things like the foundation that people are feeling a lot more open to asking for help whenever they're, they're needing it, which is great. Just to round this up, then it, you've been on the doing the job since 2013, as you said. It, is there any inspirational stories or any real feel good moments that stand out to you that makes you just really really proud in the the job and the role that you're doing? I think uh, there's been a few uh, big events that I've took a wee moment and stood back and, and thought, wow, that was impressive. And again, if you take Celtic away from that, it's never going to happen in the first yeah. place. Uh, New York event, for example, um, 
uh, and the the games that we've done, we've sold out a few games here. Uh, Henrik and Lubo and that was my Stelly son's and, first. That was my son's first game. So uh, special uh, special memories. But I think so. That's the that, that that's the sort of that's the the outward facing part you like in terms of fundraising and how you engage people and how people get involved in something. Uh, but the the things that mean the most to me really are the projects that we that we deliver pre COVID. Yeah. Uh, like running the sensory room and providing a, a safe space for people who have got sensory issues to come and watch the games. The uh, projects that we run under the banner of Ability Counts, which is Down syndrome and autism, uh, the dementia care projects that we run in Glasgow and Edinburgh, um, and the employability stuff we do. It's like working closely with young offenders and, and trying to help them provide some guidance, provide some employment opportunities, and try and steer them away from going back into the into the into into the justice system and, and hopefully help themselves, help their families, help the economy. So those things are the, the, the things that maybe not as glamorous as having Henrik and Lubo, <laughs> uh, but those are the things that, that, that's the real metric for us. That's the real measure of who we are as an organisation. It's no income. It's definitely outcomes for us. Those wee personal touches of, of care are the ones that really affect the most lives because they'll go on to to, to help other people, which is which is great to see. Yeah, and it's no it's no mass, it's no huge volumes, but it has a big impact in in a in a local part of the community. If we can do that, if we can put a hundred young people through employability here a year who would ordinarily begin back to jail in in truth, uh, then that that that's a big big positive for it's a big big societal positive, I think. Definitely. Um, we are on the the the, the eve of a, a momentous season for Celtic. Um, I think you were just uh, you just missed the Lions nine in a row. Um, I missed it. We. Uh, I mean, I wasn't here. I, I, I. How old do you think I am? Incidentally, but I've done my research. You were born I, in '67, just after after so the, the first game I came to was '75. My bro- my brother Michael brought me here. Uh, he was the the, the half time guy after me for a number of years. Um, uh, so I missed the the Celtic, uh, the first the original uh, nine in a row. I, I missed that. And then you worked here through the nineties when Rangers get nine in a row. I'm seeing a current but we steam here, Tony. It's a bit I, of a I came here in I came here in '94 and uh, then the. the I'm thinking about the 9th of May, 98, when we played St. Johnston and Magic. And leading up to that and having been at uh, Dunfermline six days before. <laughs> and I think, you know, we Simon played and Craig Falconbridge scored a, a header for, I think he scored it for Kirkcaldy, actually. I don't know how far out he was. That round, the uh, first communion, that was, that, that was, that was the, the mood just totally changed after that one. And then driving back through... Uh, driving back through to Glasgow after the game and um, the worry in the six days leading up to the to the match on the, the on the Saturday uh, against St Johnston, and then the, the euphoria of stopping the ten and protecting our records and yep. and we're in the exact opposite position now where we we were desperate to go yep. and deliver. 
10, the Celtic support are desperate for that. Everybody at the club's desperate for it. So it's uh, strange days. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your, your time today. Um, the very best of luck to the foundation and everybody that works through it as well. Um, hopefully, like you say, we'll speak to you again closer to the, the Christmas appeal and anything we can do to support, we, we certainly will. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I just, and just in summary from me that through Football for Good in the past few months, we've worked with 35,000 vulnerable families and individuals, 9,000 pensioners, 4,000 people who are homeless or facing homelessness, 1,600 primary school kids, which I know is close to your heart, and provided 11,000 meals to frontline NHS staff. We've done that uh, since the end of March. We want to do more of that throughout 2020 and then put it behind us. So if anybody can give us some help to do that, we'd be very, very grateful. Fantastic. Until next time, uh, I've been Keith McGinty, Tony Hamilton. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll speak to you down the road.